Welcome to Hallel Fellowship, found on the internet at hallel.info. That's H-A-L-L-E-L dot I-N-F-O. We hope you are encouraged by the following recorded Bible study to look deeper into every word that proceeds from the mouth of God and how they were lived out in the life of Yeshua HaMashiach, often called Jesus the Christ. So unleavened bread is one category, but we have firstborn males redeeming of males as a second subject matter for the first day of unleavened bread. Now, there are other topics of the days of unleavened bread, which you can get into and discuss. You can talk about uh, uh, the past of the Red Sea, what that means in cleansing people up, which that's not for today. That's for later on. You can talk about the, the, uh, the bread itself as far as the grains and what they all mean and the nature of first fruits and that kind of stuff. We were discussing those today. Those are separate topics. So today we're discussing also the redeeming of firstborn, which is a different category. I bring this up because it explains the strange order, the strange command that God gave regarding donkeys. Um, and it's worth noting that that's, that command was given there. So it was intended for us to understand it. So we get the idea of unleavened bread and unleavened bread and how those work and how we're supposed to conduct ourselves. But it comes to this strange firstborn male thing and the donkeys either redeem with a lamb or, or a goat or break their necks, which is not commended for uh, camels or, or any other kind of service animal, just donkeys. Uh, in, uh, to extension, it, it may also associate with horses. I'm not, I'm not positive. Uh, the Torah doesn't really talk about horses per se this early in the Torah. It talks about later on and uh, local Deuteronomy, not, not so much in, in the Lakes of Exodus or even in Genesis for that matter. Um, so the horses may be included in this. I, I can't swear to it one way or the other. And pop, probably, most likely mules are, because mules are a type of donkey, which is a, a, a certain form of it. Um, in this instance, the, the strange second category of firstborn, sorry, category of unleavened bread the first day is redeeming of firstborn males. Now on your screen here, uh, we have the display of Exodus 13, uh, the first two verses. Exodus 13, verse one and two, it says, the Lord's foot was saying, sanctify to me every firstborn, the first offspring, every womb among the sons of Israel, both of man and beast, it belongs to me. And it, it continues on this topic, narrowing down the type of firstborn he's referring to in verse 12. The first time it says, you shall devote the Lord, the first offspring of every womb, the first offspring of every beast, you know, the males belong to the Lord. So most specifically, though it, Verse 1 and 2 refers to the firstborn that are males, not the firstborn that are females necessarily, belong to God. And this is done on the first, or this was done, on the first day of unleavened bread when they came out of Egypt. Uh, we have to ask ourselves, why? What was the purpose of sanctifying males? What difference did it make? Uh, why not females? Or why sanctify anybody? Why would God bother to do this? It, it didn't make a lot of sense. What, what did the firstborn do with anything? Other force the death of the firstborn, which is explained in Numbers 8. And Numbers 8, uh, verse 5 through 6, and as well as uh, 14 through 19, discuss the nature of what the firstborn were supposed to symbolize or mean. So God explains himself the reason for sanctifying the firstborn in Numbers 8. This is verse 8, chapter 8, verse 5 and 6, it says, Again, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the Levites from among the children of Israel and cleanse them. So we have this section of, of cleansing the Israelites, the Levites, sorry, the church of Israel. And 
picks verse up because verse uh, 14 and 19 explain why. So God, Lord had already told Moses to sanctify, means set aside, the firstborn of all the Israelites. And here in Numbers 8, it says, well, take the Levites from them and cleanse them, which cleanse Levites up. Of course, we have the example that God chose Levites in place of the firstborn. In Numbers 8, going down to verse 14, it says, Thus shall you separate the Levites from among the sons of Israel, and Levites shall be mine. Then after that, the Levites may go in to serve the tent of meeting. But you shall cleanse them and present them as a wave offering, for they are wholly given to me from among the sons of Israel. I have taken them for myself instead of every first issue of the womb the firstborn of all the sons of Israel. For every firstborn among the sons of Israel is mine, among the men and among the animals, on the day that I struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. I sanctified them for myself. But I have taken the Levites instead of every firstborn among the sons of Israel. I have given the Levites as a gift to Aaron, and to his sons from among the sons of Israel to perform the service of the sons of Israel at the tent of meeting and make atonement on behalf of the sons of Israel so that there will be no plague among the sons of Israel by the coming near the sanctuary. So was Numbers 8, verse 14 through 19. So the explanation that God is giving, so the firstborn, the, the function of, of them, or the purpose of them, was that God, first of all, set them aside or he, he, he selected them or, or, I guess in the word, he redeemed or he purchased them, so the example, when he struck down the firstborn of Egypt. And as a result, their function was to be to serve as priests or the priesthood in general. And here in Numbers 8, it explains that instead of the firstborn sons of all of Israel, he's taking in their place the Levites. Now note, the command to, in Exodus 13 to uh, sanctify your firstborn is still in effect at this time in verse 8. Nothing has changed. He's pointing out that instead of taking them as service people to the Lord, he's taking them strictly as, he's taking Levites as replacements for the Levites will replace them instead in, in their function. So we understand now the purpose of the firstborn being set aside. God bought them. He purchased them. He paid the price. Um, now, we tend to, you know, if I do, maybe you don't, I do, tend to get it a little bit confused by saying, well, who paid the price? Yes, God killed them, but the first were the ones who actually died. So, you know, who paid the price then? Well, I bet this a number of, probably months ago, I think it was. Well, it's no different than if you buy something at a store and you purchase it. Well, the money that you put in your hand, the money was given over. So the other the the business receives your funds and you receive the object while the funds themselves the dollars themselves didn't buy the object you did you just use them to buy it so the firstborn the one who died the one who paid the price so to speak but god is the one who paid them over so god is the one who actually did the purchasing act hopefully makes sense now, this strange donkey instruction. So we understand what the nature of firstborn sons. And in Leviticus 13, it discusses what you do with uh, clean animals as well as unclean animals, how you, how you handle them. Um, but this donkey is a strange thing. Uh, in the, I can understand and comprehend 
how the firstborn males, men, uh, and the Levites are equated in Numbers eight equates them pretty well. I I, I understand that mentally, and I, I can I can visually see what that means, and I can understand that the firstborn of clean animals he offers uh, in that respect that is a, is a thanksgiving offering or, or a thankfulness offering, and that part I understand too. In the for, for the category of 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 unclean animals being first bar set aside well you can't offer them on an altar you can't offer them to god because they're unclean so those have to be paid for you redeem them that makes sense too i can because you can't offer unclean animals that would be against the torah against the law and god would not, not receive your offering like offering pigs for example you can't do that but the part that doesn't make a lot of sense at least at first glance is the donkey rule so, so in chapter 13 of exodus jumping to verse 12 uh, through 16, it says, You shall devote to the Lord the first offspring of every womb and the first offspring of every beast that you own. The males belong to the Lord, but every first offspring of donkey you should redeem with a lamb or, or, or a kid or goat. Those are interchangeable words in Hebrew. Um, but if you do not redeem it, then you shall break its neck, and every firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. It should be that when your son asks you in time to come, saying, what is this? Then you shall say to him, with a powerful hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. It came about when Pharaoh was stubborn about letting us go, that the Lord killed every firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of beast. Therefore, I sacrifice, Lord, all the males, the first offspring of the, every womb. But every first one of my sons I redeem, so it shall serve as a sign on your hand and as phylacteries in your forehead, for the powerful hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. So this is actually very similar language to God commanding the whole eating of unleavened bread versus bread. And then when your son asks you, it's the exact same, not exact, but it's a very similar answer, and that what the Lord did for me coming out of Egypt. So both the Lord coming out of Egypt had two effects, in that the unleavened bread, which we already discussed, you eat that, the law of the Lord be in your mouth, you live off of that, as well as the firstborn offspring being offered to, 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 to the Lord because he, he, the Lord killed not just firstborn sons of men of Egypt, but also firstborn of the animals too. So he bought all of them as well at the same time. We have to focus a little bit of attention on this donkey thing. So in all the firstborn of of, of, of unclean beasts, we have to redeem it to pay. There's actually a, a price that goes with them based on the value of the sanctuary. And you can look up the details about redemption values for men and for, for animals. They have their different values listed in the Torah uh, based on what the priest says, what, it, what its value is at the time of, the, of its being offered. In this case, with the donkey, though, what the donkey? But why is the donkey treated the same as all the other animals? What's so special, so strange, so unique? What, why is it so set aside and weird about the donkey versus everybody else. Um, they're unclean, I get that, but so are camels. And camels do the same service donkeys do. And, or horse, for that matter, are very similar to donkeys. So, if, if it, or llamas, for that matter. Uh, the nature of a donkey is, is off or, or, or odd or strange in our Torah commands. Why did God do this donkey instruction? What does a donkey mean to him? Why is it so unique or special? 
Well, to understand donkey, you have to understand what the symbol behind donkey is and how it's used. I'm a firm believer that the Bible tends to interpret itself pretty well. There are a few exceptions. But uh, when it comes to terms or, or symbols, look throughout the entire Tanakh and find the symbol where it's used and it'll help explain the purpose behind the symbol itself. So if you don't understand donkeys, you say, well, how is the donkey used? Well, here's a good example. Now, these are, these are three different locations within the Tanakh. One's the Taurus, Book of Genesis. It's also Judges uh, discusses as well. It, will, it said there's more than just these. There's just the nature of them. The general top is donkeys usually are associated to kings or king's sons or kings or judges. You can use a, a judge and a king are actually very, very similar. Um, we would call judges, they would call governors or presidents, for example, would be like a judge because they're temporary. They, they, they just discern certain things. Um, kings are obviously for, for generational uh, applications. But kings and judges are very similar. And so donkeys generally associated with kings or with a king's son. So in these examples, we have a Genesis chapter, chapter 49. This is one of our examples of donkey. It's listed a few different times, obviously, with the famous donkey of Balaam. We won't go there today. That's a separate topic. Uh, Genesis 49, however, is a prophecy, a prophecy that Jacob gives to his son, Judah. Genesis 49, starting in verse 8, it says, Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies, and your father's sons shall bow down to you. Judah is a lion's whelp from the prey, my son, you have gone up. He crouches, he lies down as a lion. As a lion, who dares rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff between his feet till Shiloh comes. And to him shall there be obedience of the peoples. He ties his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. He washes his garments in wine and his robes in the blood of grapes. His eyes are dull from wine, his teeth white from milk. Pause there for a minute. So in this prophecy that Jacob gives to Judah, he lists a whole bunch of details about your know, lions and you know, and kings, your brothers are bowed down to you. So Judah's being lifted up in this prophecy as being something important, something above or greater than his brothers, greater than the other tribes, of course, which we know the history, they, they do become greater than the tribes. But he lifts them up pretty high. Of course, the scepter, so the idea that the kingdom or that the rulership should not depart from them. So Judah is pretty heavily in this section of Genesis, pretty heavily associated with a king or somebody who's a ruler or who's in charge, that all the other sons will, 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 will approach him and say, yes, he is greater than we are. We bow down to him. We, we pay, pay him tribute, so to speak. Uh, he's still, he is a ruler. He is over us. And it will always be the case that people will be obedient, obedient to him. And he is an associate with this donkey. Donkey's colt, his donkey's colt, his, his beast of burden to be, will attach the choice, find the great things, the great uh, value, the great components of, of kingdom. Because only a few things entertain kings. The kings are entertained by a power, uh, a, a money, or something that's of, of value. Or um, I guess probably, yeah, power and value. That's only, <laughs> only those two things that impress kings. Um, so in this case, the value here is associated with the food, the, the, the choice find, the, the best. Uh, he washes garments in wine. It, that's a form of, form of high luxury. And his eyes are dull when he drinks a lot of it, of course, sweet or tithe from milk. So he has the best of the land, the best of everything. 
which are kings are associated with. So donkey here is associated with Judah and Judah's donkey in particular. And Judges chapter 10, uh, that we, another example of a donkey being associated. We have, this is, this is where we're going to talk about judges. And judges are a type of king, but not actually kings. They're just like governors. We, we classify the governors or people who are in charge, make decision makers. Judges chapter 10, verse 3 and 4, it says, this is, uh, mind you, we're going in the middle of a whole bunch of lists of different judges and different people come and go throughout the two years of judges and what they do and how long they survive and such. So jumping in the middle of them, what it says, one of those lists, it says, after him, for a different judge, Jair, the Gileadite, arose and judged Israel for 22 years. He had 30 sons who rode on 30 donkeys, and they had 30 cities in the land of Gilead that are called Havoth Jair to this day. Now, of course, here we have the sons of the judge associated with donkeys. And somehow this is a, 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 a tool or an, a component associated with those who are in charge or those who are important in their day. And in this case, of course, the son of the judges. It, the same type of thing is repeated again uh, a couple chapters later. In Judges 12, Judges 12, verses 13 and 14, a similar another judge, another person being listed, a list of judges. It comes out again. It says, Now Abdon, the son of Hillel, the Pirithonite, judged Israel after him. He had judged, I see he had 40 sons and 30 grandsons who rode on 70 donkeys, and he judged Israel eight years. So you have this association with donkeys, both with Judah and these two judges associated with or attached to those who are in charge. Now we're getting a clearer example of what God's referring to. He says, the donkeys you will redeem with a lamb or goat. Um, however, if you don't, you break their neck. So something is unique or separate about donkeys and the Torah and the Tanakh are associating donkeys with the sons of kings or the kings themselves. This is the only example. And I mentioned before that donkeys and horses are very similar. Not, they're not the same. I get that. But they are similar in different capacities and their nature, what their functionality of beasts of burden or to, 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 to ride up on. These are not the only example. I'm just going through some of these just to give you a flavor of what how God is attaching or associating donkeys or horses in general to the nature of, of, of this, this command. In 1 Kings, we have two citations. 1 Kings 1, verse 5. And this is the middle of the time which David is dying, but not dead yet. Adonijah, one of David's sons, is trying to make himself king. In the meantime, Solomon, who's supposed to become king, he and his mother are concerned that if Adonijah becomes king, he will execute, which indicates he will. So in First Kings 1, verse 5, it says, Now Adonijah, the son of Hagit, exalted himself, saying, I will be king. So he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen with 50 men to run before him. Now, mind you, I, this is not an example of Adonijah necessarily riding a horse, but the nature of the, the, the associate of being a king or trying to be a king and somehow being in power or control still is associated with chariots or horses. If I recall correctly, I don't recall the exact verse. Deuteronomy warns us about this, that kings will prepare and expand horses and horsemen for themselves and expand their chariots. That's what kings do. So he associates the great powers, in case of horsemen or donkeys, we'll discuss in a minute, um, with this great power or great strength. Also in chapter, chapter 1 of 1 Kings, later on, look further down in the chapter, in verse 33, it says, 
The king said to them, take with you, this is the king referring to King David, said to uh, some of his servants who were with him regarding Solomon, how to, take, how to deal with it. The king David said to them, take with you the servants of your Lord and have my son Solomon ride on my own mule and bring him down to Gihon. And of course, this, now a mule is not identical to a donkey, but it's fairly similar. They're crossed between a donkey and a horse, typically. Uh, but that's the, the mule usually is a female. They'll, well, technically, all mules are females because it's a strange animal. But this, this, the king himself says, this is my mule. This is my own mound. This is my own animal that is mine. So the king has associated this with, he's essentially having Solomon ride on his own mule. If you recall correctly, a month ago, we had covered uh, Purim. And in Purim's story, the story of Esther, one of the scenes is where uh, Haman, ooh, Haman tries to get the king to execute Mordecai. And the king asks Haman, before, before Haman gets a chance to ask his, his request, asks Haman, who would the king like, what would you do with the, king, the man the king likes to honor? And Haman says, well, to himself, uh, who would the king like to honor more than me? So he says, well, find a, a, an animal, the steed, the, the horse the king has ridden on and parade him around the streets, saying such is done for the man the king likes to honor. And the king, of course, says, says, Haman, that's a great idea. So go to Mordecai and do that for the Jew, Mordecai. And so Haman has to go ahead in the city and, and draw him around the town of, of Shushan. Well, again, same association. We have... That which is greater, that which is honored, is associated with kings and horses or mules or donkeys, the same beast. So somehow they're attached to kings or kings' sons or kings' great honor. Continuing on in First Kings chapter 1, uh, jumping down to verse 43, it says, Jonathan replied to Adonijah, but this, Jonathan is interrupting a party that Adonijah is having for himself in, in this portion. He says, no, our Lord King has made Solomon king. The king has also sent him with Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, the Cherethites and the Pelethites, and they have made him ride on the king's mule. Zadok the priest and the prophet have anointed him king in Gihon, and they have come up from there rejoicing. The city is in an uproar. This is the noise which you have heard. So again, this also, this, this the idea of the king and a mule, or king the the, the cross beat of a donkey, um, is associated with a Solomon or a King David. In this case, it's, it's Solomon and, and King David combined. It's the same animal for both. So now let's go back to our original uh, discussion regarding this whole this, this donkey thing. Well, let's go back here. We are back here. The strange commandment that says in verse in Exodus 13, it says, every office, first off, a donkey should redeem with a lamb. If you don't redeem it, you'll break its neck. Okay, so the donkey appears symbolically to be associated to kings or because kings usually, I'm not saying always, usually your oldest son becomes the following king after you. That was pretty typical. Obviously, Solomon was not the oldest son, but that's usually what happened. So this donkey, firstborn son, would be symbolically associated to the firstborn of a king. So the firstborn of a king, you could use, you could read the same same terminology here, symbolically read as, but every first offspring of a king, donkey, you should redeem with a lamb. If you do not redeem it, you should break its neck. That's an interesting concept, not that I'm not 
recommending, you know, regicide or <laughs> killing of kings or presidents. Uh, I'm just afraid that that, that that appears to be an association God is using in this nature of donkey. Let's go back where we were. Uh, the kings continue. Uh, this is uh, oh, next session. So Messiah, however, is also associated to a donkey, which is not a coincidence. In Messiah's time, uh, this is according to John chapter 12, which records or re, uh, reiterates a, a quote from Zechariah. So Zechariah, which some of the prophets discuss this, Zechariah chapter 9. In Zechariah 9, we have an example of the king and a, a donkey attached to one another, which is repeated in, in, in the New Testament and the Gospels. In the case of Zechariah chapter 9, it says, we, verse 9, so Zechariah 9, chapter 9, verse 9, it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So we always have this prophecy about Messiah or, or this, this king. Now, mind you, I say Messiah because the term Messiah means anointed one. Well, the only two people in our Torah that are ever anointed is the high priest and the king. There are no other people anointed in our Torah. It's just two men. The high priest gets anointed and the king gets anointed. Everybody else, you're not anointed. I'm not saying you can't put oil on you. I'm pointing out that the, the Torah's interest is not about you for your healing or your ailments. Anointing refers to high priest and it refers to the king. So in this case, Messiah, which means the anointed one, the one who is anointed, and says, behold, your king, also your anointed one, is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble, and mounted a donkey, even a colt, the full of a donkey. So we have the association of king with this donkey here in the prophets, which is a similar association we got from Genesis chapter 49 from Judah, when Judah's the, his foal, the donkey, we attached to the choice vines. And he, of course, is the king, or the scepter will be in his hands. So we have this continued association with donkey and uh, king attached to one another throughout the, the Torah as well as the Tanakh. The association is pretty similar. And John, the Gospels, in John chapter 12, it reiterates the same, uh, the same thing or the similar process, which Zechariah 9 says. This is the context. So Zechariah 9 verse 9 was a prophecy that gets fulfilled into the John, the book of John, chapter 12. So book of John, chapter 12, verse 12, it says, On the next day, the large crowd who had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took the branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, and began shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. Jesus, finding a young donkey, sat on it, as is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. The same scenario is, is the other gospels record similar. I just wrote down one of them. They have a similar uh, situation here, discussing finding a donkey uh, to work for his, to print right on. So Messiah also notes that the, sim, that the attachment of kingdom or the king and donkey are attached together in the book of Zechariah. And so he, in his day, says, yes, I am the king. He's admitting, I am the king. I am the, 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 in the king of Israel, because he's purposefully finding a donkey to ride on, a donkey's colt, 
to fulfill that prophecy. So he is admitting, yes, I am the king of Israel. So again, this donkey is associated to kings pretty thoroughly, pretty convincingly. So he had this, this donkey association. I make this basic comparison, this page here that's in front of you. It says unredeemed donkey. So when you redeem the donkey, which means the donkey lives, you pay for it with a lamb or a kid, which happens to be the same thing you can offer a pastor, mind you, is a lamb or a kid. It's not, that's not a coincidence. If you choose not to redeem the donkey, you must break the neck of the unredeemed donkey. Now, symbolically speaking, because donkey is associated with kings or sons of kings, if you break the neck of an unredeemed donkey, you symbolically break the neck of an unredeemed king or son of a king. Now, I use that term very, very purposefully because note what happened to Absalom. Absalom tried to be king and became king temporarily, but was he the right king? No, he was what you would group as an un, un, unredeemed or improperly redeemed king. He was, not a, he was not supposed to have kingship. So what happened? He was killed. So if you don't redeem the king, you kill the king. I Meaning he's an improper king, you get rid of him. So in the association of you break the neck of the unredeemed donkey, you break the neck of the unredeemed king, or sort of a king, mind you, king means anointed one too, or you break the neck of the unredeemed Messiah. This is an important concept. So if we associate donkey with king, which is pretty thorough throughout the Tanakh, and Messiah associates himself with king and with the donkey, Messiah himself was to be unredeemed. He is our redeemer, but he's supposed to be unredeemed himself. So as a result, in this strange, bizarre command in Exodus 13, was a prophecy set up so that Messiah himself would have his own neck broken. Not physically, mind you, but mind the idea of of being killed. He was planning, or the idea was to kill him. So this whole plan that God had set up in the Torah with this strange, bizarre command, we can see that God had symbolically set it up so that Messiah himself would be executed because he himself is an unredeemed person, meaning no one paid for his sins. Does that make sense? He didn't have any sins. Nothing can, 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 can pay for them. Uh, in the redemption of, this is the next page, redemption of Messiah occurring at Passover time, he was a, as, we, as the, the, the apostles point out, John in particular, he was our Passover lamb. Now, mind you, in the commandment for redeeming a donkey, you must offer a lamb or a kid of a goat. Because the, the, the Hebrew word for lamb is the same word for a young goat. They're, they're identical. So it doesn't matter which one you happen to choose. That's why Passover itself, you can either have lamb or you can have a, a young goat it doesn't make any difference because they're interchangeable in the Hebrew word, in the Torah. So he was used, his, he, was not, he was an unredeemed donkey, but he himself was the same purchase or the same thing, that he became the lamb instead. So it's quite fascinating that God blended all of these symbols together and that Messiah and king and donkey and lamb and made them all equal. Literally equal sign, each one of those words. Messiah equals king equals donkey equals lamb. All shut up as one massive thing. 
Um, so each one of them are combined together as this, 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 this concept, which is fascinating what he did, uh, but he set it all up. Well, we'll go back there in Exodus 13 when he said, hey, the donkeys, you must redeem with a lamb uh, or, or, or break their neck. And so he made the massive equation, make them all the same, which is brilliantly, brilliantly done. Uh, and I would not have done it myself. I couldn't have figured it out, but grateful that he, he played it out for us. So in the redemption prices, so Messiah, who was supposed to this donkey, was purchased with money by, if you recall the story of Messiah, um, he, the, the, the high priests purchased him. It was also fascinating uh, because you redeem your son by, by paying for him. Uh, in the form you pay him to the, to, to, the, to the priests normally. So symbolically speaking, even then, the high priests sort of, in a manner of symbolism, Redeemer purchased Messiah uh, as their own. So it was like he was redeemed, the firstborn so redeemed by a priest because his priests paid Judas Iscariot for the Messiah to, so they could have and it was excellent, like a lamb would be. Uh, much like how you would kill a lamb for the half of a donkey. So you know, a lot of symbols that God used to, to blend together for this redemption of firstborn, redemption of, of the issue of the womb. Uh, in the front of your page here, it says this is Numbers. We're jumping to Numbers chapter 18. Numbers 18 discusses uh, the nature of firstborn redemption prices. Not that this is really relevant per se, because it doesn't really matter as far as the price being paid, that, that, that that's off the issue. But uh, it points out that to redeem a son, which what the priests sort of symbolically did, they purchased Messiah for their own possession. Um, it says, every firstborn issue of the womb of all flesh, this is Numbers 18, verse 15 through 18. Verse 15 says, for every, for every issue of the womb of all flesh, whether man or animal, which, which they offer the Lord, shall be yours. This is for the priests. Nevertheless, the firstborn of man you shall surely redeem, and the firstborn of unclean animals you shall redeem, as the redemption prior to redeem them by your valuation of five shekels of silver, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, which is 20 giras. The firstborn of an ox, firstborn of a sheep, and the firstborn of a goat you shall not redeem. They are holy. You shall sprinkle their blood on the altar, and they shall and shall offer up their fat and smoke as an offering by fire for a soothing aroma to the Lord. Then we shall be yours. It should be yours like the breast of a wave offering and like, and like the right thigh. Now this, of course, example points out the priests receive this. The priests paying for Messiah as their own in a form of redemption, they really didn't redeem him because they were, they were planning on killing him. He points out, well, because he's, a donkey, which is unclean. He's also a king, which is the anointed one. But he's also a lamb, because you're killing like lamb. So he's both the unclean animals. You have to kill the unclean animal, kill the donkey, because you're not going to redeem him. But he's also a lamb, a clean animal, which is yours for you to eat. Which, of course, so they, they consume him, symbolically speaking, the fact that they, they kill him off. Because his meat or his flesh is yours, referring to priests. So, again, it points out that in going back to Exodus 13, uh, verse 3 says, every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. If you don't redeem it, then you shall break its neck. So he has this, this combined symbol that God did, uh, which is well done in all, these, in all these combined examples of redemption prices and redemption of firstborns. So if you walk away this day and nothing else, you walk away that you have a combined symbols of donkeys and redeemed animals in general as well as the unleavened bread in function of how the unleavened bread is supposed to work and versus leavened bread. Any comments or questions regarding uh, this, this detail of what we talked about today?
There's one little detail is that the Messiah actually had been redeemed when he was brought to the temple, what, 40 days after his birth? He was oh, right, redeemed. as a child. You're right, you're right, as a child mm-hmm. he would have been. That is true. I forgot about that. You're right. You're right. As a child he would have been redeemed because that would be the required uh, time mm-hmm. You're right. I forgot about that. That's a good point. So as a child, I guess, as a, as a flesh and blood man, as a child of, of, of his mom and dad, mm-hmm. he would have been redeemed. That is true. Yeah. Uh, that's a good point. I should clarify what I talk about that. Well, we'll conclude with a prayer then. Almighty God, our great Father, thank you for your kindness and, and blessing upon each of, our, of your people and each of us. Father, we ask you to bless us and keep us safe. Help us make good decisions, Father. We thank you for teaching us well to instruct us in our life and our way of living, how to live and how to live properly as best we can, Father. For you are kind to us and that is your practice. May you continue to forgive our mistakes, Father. Continue to Bless us and hold us dear to you and to your heart as we hold you to ours. Father, help us to be wise, good people. We praise you and ask your blessing on the our rest of our fellowship as best we can for our Zoom meeting, as well as our time of praise and of worship. We glory, Father, in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to a discussion at Hallel Fellowship. If you would like to hear more discussions or if you have any questions, visit the website at hallel.info. That's H-A-L-L-E-L dot I-N-F-O. Hallel.info.